morning. morning. I think I'm going to start this morning instead of end by saying go Bills (laughs) so I don't forget, okay? And if you're a uh, Chiefs fan, I won't ask, Um, but anyway, I know it's a big day for many football fans here in our community, and that's a good thing. Let me also say before I dive into my sermon, John just mentioned rooted, um, as John did it, so did I. Um, so I would just strongly encourage you also, if you have not done it, um, even as a, um, I could say as John did, a, uh, you know, I hope a mature Christian and a, even a seminary grad, whatever that uh, does for us, good thing. Uh, I, my group got a lot out of it. Um, it was a very meaningful experience to deepen my experience, my understanding, some theology, some practical application, and certainly about fellowship and accountability. So I would strongly encourage you to do that. We are back in the book of Acts here, where we've been for a few weeks in this series titled The New Community, introduced by that video. In Acts chapter 8, you have a copy of the Bible, you can open that up or turn that on, we'll get there in a second, is another major turning point. So what happens, you know, with the early church, this book is written, you know, um, it's a summary, of course, probably this covers 30 or 40 years of the church's early history, we're not getting it all. And, we're, and it's, it's not, it's not, it wasn't written the day it happened. This is, a, this is a, a, a summary after, under the inspiration of the Spirit, we believe Luke, the writer of Luke's Gospel, sits down to write an orderly account to tell us about how the church came to be. And it's trying to teach us, it's not just a history lesson, saying what God did through these uh, uh, men and women to bring the church to life, they're setting a pattern. It's teaching us what it means to be the church. That's why we're studying this. And so because that, because it's this, you might say, compressed history, it's like almost every chapter or two, something new happens. There's something new to learn. This is another major turning point in the history and development of the new community of Jesus. We call it the church. What do we have in this passage we're going to look at in the next few minutes. Number one, we have a new leader, okay? Wow. I mean, the apostles are mentioned, but new leaders. Last week, if you were here, they anointed seven more leaders. These people take front center stage, and it begins to move on to people who, whose names we don't even know. So we have a new leader. We have a new geography, Imagine if I said to you this morning, by the way, this is our last service here. We're moving to, I don't know, Pennsylvania, or we're moving somewhere else to to have church next Sunday. That's what's happening here in the early church. You'll see this in a minute. They have a whole new geography. Thousands of people, if we understand this text, they're leaving where they were meeting for however long it was, and now they're meeting somewhere else. They're on the move. It's a church on the move, and maybe most importantly to this message, A new leader, a new geography, a new momentum. A new momentum. One I would love to see us experience in the weeks and months to come here at Browncroft Community Church. So, message I'm titling this, The Gospel. The Gospel. Hopefully you'll see why. What does the gospel mean and do in a growing Church, the gospel, Acts chapter 8, we'll begin verses 1 through 8. Follow along as I read these words. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, the only church there was, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, one of the seven 
prayed for and anointed last uh, Sunday in our study, and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began, who later is called Paul, began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now you see why they had to move. Going from imagine house to house and dragging people off and putting them in prison because they're Christians. Those who had been scattered, which is virtually everybody, if we believe this text, preached the word wherever they went. Philip, one of the seven from last Sunday, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. The gospel. What do we learn about the gospel as uh, a church in this passage? Number one, it's a message we share. Okay, I'm talking about we being you and me. Now, what is the great persecution? Quick um, just context here. The great persecution really goes back to Acts chapter 7, which we didn't go over. And part of the reason is Acts chapter 7 is perhaps the longest speech, the longest sermon, maybe in the entire Bible. Stephen, one of the seven that was anointed, one of these, we call them sort of the next line of leaders, maybe deacons, Philip is one as well, the new leaders. Stephen gives this, I don't know what you want to call it, a, a from the gut, you know, heart filled speech to the leaders in Jerusalem. I mean, it's a gut punch and he talks to them, challenges them on their hypocrisy, challenges them on their rejection of the Messiah and they end up at this 51 verse sermon. Probably could do a week of sermons on it. This history of Israel and their rejection, you might say, ultimately of the Messiah and they stone him, okay, stone him. They, he becomes the first churches, uh, first martyr of the church. And then on top of that, they start tearing people out from house to house. This is the great persecution that's being talked about. And it's meant, of course, to halt the progress of the church. Okay, that's why they did it. They wanted to stop this movement that was taking place right on the very edges of the Jewish community, that is the temple itself. They wanted to stop it. Okay, But... In, God, in the providence of God, it actually serves, listen very closely, to put the church in the very center of God's will. This might be the only point that some of you need to hear this morning, right? This, the worst of things could have happened here. The mar Stephen is martyred. People are dragged out of their houses and somebody makes an announcement, the old internet, and says, listen, everybody pack your bags and we're leaving, not just for today, Pack your bags. We're leaving Jerusalem. Everyone left except the apostles. And if we do the math, it's thousands of people. Now, that would see, I'm sure if you ask the apostles, okay, that if you were, if you were the Jerusalem Times said, what, do you, what, what does this mean? I don't think they'd say, oh, it's wonderful. They'd say, no, we don't know what this means. But does this mean the church is over? We don't know what it means. But I promise you this, they weren't happy about it. They weren't excited about it. They didn't see it coming in this manner that it came. And it wasn't on anybody's strategic plan. Okay? But 
Except, of course, my point, it was on God's strategic plan. Because this horrible event served to move the church to the center of God's will. Why do you get that, Rob? Acts 1.8, when Jesus says, go into all the world, beginning in Jerusalem, and then go where? Samaria. That's where they are. Okay? That's where they are. It's pretty important that you and I see that. So some of us, that's the application. If the bottom falls out of your life, it doesn't mean you're not in God's will. That's what we learn here. But the application that is truly for all of us in this room is to see that this growth, not only in Acts 8 but beyond it as we move forward, happened because ordinary believers thousands of them, if we believe the text, took the opportunity to share the message with other people that they met, the message that had changed their lives. Those who had been scattered, which is everybody, preached the word wherever they went. The gospel is a message that we share. Are you sharing it? Am I sharing it? Right? That's part of the reason this thing's breaking up. The apostles had an important role. We'll call these the deacons had an important role. But the church of Jesus Christ grows then and now because people like you, people like me, imperfect people, non-seminary people, and seminary people are out there in the highways, in the byways, in the bills games, at your offices, wherever you do life, telling other people about Jesus Christ and what he did for you. Okay, It's a message we share are you sharing i believe there are one thing about all the people in this room there are people in the lives of every single one of us this much i believe without even knowing your your what you do on a monday who have a genuine interest and openness to have a relationship with god who would pay very close attention, verse 6, to what you have to say not every person in your life but there are people in your life Today, people in my life today who would pay very close attention to what you have to say if you and I would share the message, right? It's a message we share. Point two, okay? This is how we share it. It's a life we live. And we're going to do a little case study of Philip, of how his life how he lived his life in this story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Pick up in verse 26. Second, it's a life we live or are supposed to live. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, pretty specific, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. He meets the finance minister of this exotic nation on this road. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, 
unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. It's from Isaiah chapter 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus, okay? Wow, what an amazing situation these two people who would never get together were it not for this horrible persecution, this church on the move, and now the Spirit of God, okay? It's a pretty specific direction, saying, go down on that road, not that one, and then you see that chariot? (laughs) Go up and stand near it. And just start paying attention to what you hear. Now, let me say something about Philip. He's a guy, sometimes you hear you, people come into the scriptures you're reading and it says so-and-so, and you never hear from them again. You hear that name, right? You know? But fi- sometimes you do hear from them again. And Philip is somebody, I mentioned this when we talked about Barnabas a few weeks ago. Philip is somebody who has a history in the church. And later, years later, After the apostle Paul, Saul becomes Paul. He becomes, let's say, the 13th apostle. He's a major figure. He ends up having a ministry connected with uh, Saul, or excuse me, the apostle Paul. And at that time, later on in the story of the early church, he's called Philip the Evangelist. So by now, years later, he's got this label, he's got this ministry, this gift that he's called Philip the Evangelist, which we assume means that he's a guy who has talked to an awful lot of people in the history of his life about Jesus. He evangelized. But what's interesting is, even though he's probably talked to hundreds of people, maybe if we could interview him today, he'd say he led hundreds of people to faith in Jesus. There's only one that's recorded in the Bible And it is the story of Philip's leading this very important official, this this finance minister from Ethiopia, to personal faith in Jesus. Why this one? Clearly, the Bible is making a point. What's the point? Okay. Who is this guy? He's a very important official. He's from a very, if you lived in Israel in the first century, from an exotic culture. Okay, Ethiopia, from, if you were in Israel. We know that. You can tip your note taker, put down Isaiah chapter 11. You know how far this guy came? We have a map just to show you this, just to make a quick point. A thousand miles, okay? A thousand miles this guy came on a chariot from what was known as Ethiopia or Nubia a thousand miles. Think of how long it would take, right? No trains, no buses. A thousand miles on a chariot to go from Ethiopia all the way up to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. Okay? Why is that significant? Because what did Jesus say to his disciples? I want you to start in Jerusalem. Then I want you to go to Samaria. There's only one more geography given. And then I want you to go to the ends of the earth. 
That's all Jesus says. In Isaiah chapter 11, there's this prophecy about the Messiah coming called the branch, I think. And it says, he will come and gather people from the four corners of the earth, a metaphor. One of them is Ethiopia. So in just this passage, in just this one moment, right out of the gate, they get thrown out of Israel. The message, the mission of Jesus is being fulfilled. The likelihood of these two men ever meeting each other and having a conversation about what the matters of the heart, about spiritual truth, is virtually zero. Okay? Should think about that. I mean, if he even said to Philip, if he woke up today and said, listen, do you think you might, you know, the, the finance minister of Israel or of Jerusalem or, or maybe this important person or this important lady, you, what's the chances you think you're going to talk to them about Christ today? He'd say, oh, that's a one in a million. But if I said, Philip, what do you think the chances are you are going to talk to the finance minister of this very exotic culture, the corners of the earth, you're going to meet this guy on a chariot, Ben-Hur, Checking your age in the room. Okay, now, point is, he would say it's virtually impossible, okay? Except if God's running the show. It's very important that we see the role of the Holy Spirit in Philip's life and in, listen, in your life and in my life. Acts chapter 8, if you were looking, doing a study or reading books, is one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible about the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not reading all of Acts chapter 8, but people would say if you really want to have a, history, a theology of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, there would be some key passages. Acts chapter 8 would be one of them. But let me tell you what you see in the book of Acts that you wouldn't see in other places in this big study in the New Testament on the Holy Spirit. A lot of what you see when you study the Holy Spirit, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Do you have the gift of hospitality? Do you have the gift of mercy? Do you have the gift of, of, of speaking? Do you have the gift of leadership? We talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that's important, and you see that in the New Testament. You also see what we call personal transformation. Right? That the Spirit of God, I think it's Galatians chapter 5 says, the Spirit of God comes into our life. It brings the fruits of the Spirit, which is a metaphor of saying it brings about character, love, joy, peace, gentleness, uh, temperance, self-control. So we see the, in the study of the Holy Spirit both this idea of personal transformation and spiritual gifts. But neither one of those are talked about in the book of Acts. What you see in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit of God is talked about as a guiding, empowering, and advancing the mission of the church. Two verses we just read. Now an angel of the Lord, you could call that the Holy Spirit, says to Philip, I mean, I mean, I, raise your hand, don't, if this has ever happened to you. Go down this road. Not that one, okay? That's very specific. And then later, this is, it's almost, if it wasn't in the Bible, you wouldn't believe it. Then, the, then while this guy's doing his thing, the Spirit tells Philip, listen, go up to that chariot. Go up to that Lexus and stand there and see what that guy's reading, okay? It's making a point. We see in Acts, the Spirit is helping the church cross boundaries and barriers with the good news, but it's not just geographical barriers. Think about you and me but personal barriers, moving past our fears. Think about the message 
you're supposed to share and I'm supposed to share. Moving past your biases. Moving past whatever is keeping us from sharing our faith with other people in our lives. Listen, the Spirit of God is essential because who of us would ever think of going to the Samaritans if you're Philip? You spent your whole life, if you understand what it means to be a Jew, you spent your whole life avoiding these people, wanting nothing to do with these people. These were the disenfranchised. These were the lower-rung people in the minds of Jewish people. They were the scum of the earth, if I can say that. That's what they thought of Samaritans. So no one would have thought on their own, that's where I'm going to go, nor would they probably think they're going to talk to some exotic person from a far-off corner of the world okay the spirit is essential because none of us would think of going there left to our own left to my own most of us aren't going to go any farther than people we are comfortable with which may be the case are really just other christians we're not really talking to anybody because we don't feel comfortable or we have reasons maybe stated or unstated and we don't go any farther. You know, for me, you, you've heard me talk about before, if you've been here and listened to me, one of the areas God has used to constantly challenge me in my faith is uh, going to my, my gym. And, and it's, God's used it in great ways in my life. I, I love going there for my own reasons. But, but uh, 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 it, and this is a place that's full of people that, for the most part, are, are very well-to-do. They don't have physical needs. They don't have materials. Not everyone. But it's a place, but, but kind of like the, maybe the Ethiopian, they have everything they might need, but there's something inside, a deeper inner need that you can't see by the car they drive or the, or the clothes they wear. And there's a need. That they, they made this guy drive a 1,000 miles on a chariot. And there's been times, and it happened every day, where God has helped me get close up to that chariot and have a conversation with somebody. But there's also times when God has led me, encouraged me to, let's say, to the Samaritans of our place, to the disenfranchised. I had an experience this past week. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time. I was, I was driving. It was a very cold night, Monday night. It was freezing cold, kind of like it was the uh, last few days. And I, it, I was going to Wegmans. It was already kind of dark. And I drive by as I do every day. Twice a day, this, this little corner over there by Record Archive, and there's almost always homeless guys there or people that are, are, are and I, I've told you some of those stories, some of you have seen them. And when I drove by this time, no one was there. I wasn't surprised because it was dark and freezing cold out, but I went to Wegmans, I came back, and there's a guy standing there. I thought, wow, it's strange that he's there. He's there now. It's late. They usually come at rush hour, so I thought, of course, I'm going to zip into Wegmans, or excuse me, Wendy's, get him something to eat. I do that. Not a big deal. Don't be, don't think I'm great. This is easy. So I went there, gave it to him, had a very short conversation. I didn't, had never met him before. I didn't know until I got up there. He said his name was Freddie. He said, thank you so much. I said, man, it's, are you, I, just, I don't always ask this. Do you have a place to sleep tonight? It's freezing out. You know, I mean, it was so cold. I almost didn't, I wanted the conversation to be over. It was so cold. And he said, no, I don't. And cars are beeping because I'm in, I'm in traffic. And I said something like, you know, okay, you know, um, See you later. Well, I drove away, and um, I wasn't, it wasn't 30 seconds. I had this, this strong sense, like, aren't you going to do something for this guy? 
you know, and I, and I, you know, you have those things you, in, in 10 seconds later, it goes away, and I, and I'm driving, and I turn a corner, and I, and it just gets stronger and stronger, and I finally, I pull into a little, a parking lot, I mean, this all happened within 45 seconds, and I'm sitting there, it only went on for a minute, this little inner dialogue, it felt like 10 minutes, I had to talk myself into going back, should I go back, yes, go up to that chariot, it's freezing out. So I said, okay, I'll do it. Ask this guy, maybe, if he needs a place to sleep. So I go back. I get back. This all happened in two minutes. He was gone. I thought, I did my duty. <laughs> and I thought, I kind of felt good. And then as I turned, I saw him across the street, standing there on the phone. You know, he had left that little post. So I pulled up to him. I said, hey, his name's Fred. I said, Fred, uh, um, how you doing? He goes, good. I go, listen, I was just thinking about you. I said, if you need a place to sleep, um, you can come to my place. And he said, well, thank you. He was on the phone when I pulled up, and he said, a, a buddy of mine just texted me. I, I, I have a place. I said, okay. I go, well, uh, where is it? You know? He told me it was on the other side of town. I go, well, you, you want to ride? He said, okay. So he gets in my car. We drive other side of the west side of town, maybe 15 minutes or more. And in that 15 minutes or more, he told me uh, just an amazing story of how this happened. And, you know, sometimes you'd never know if you're getting the truth. I, I, it seemed very straightforward to me. He was in a bad, very bad accident in 2010. He cut, he's a tree, uh, uh, cut down trees, had a very bad accident. He was in multiple surgeries. It just, it, it, it was devastating. It was a, he, didn't, he wasn't even expected to live, but he had all these surgeries. In the course of all that, his wife left him. He has two kids, I think nine and 12 years old, young. He's a youngish man, younger than me, and um, has two kids. And he's lost his marriage through that. His wife now lives in the state of Texas. And one bad thing after another happened to him. And he found himself in this moment. You know, not, not a place to live. So we got all the way to the end of that drive and dropped him off. He was about to get out of the car, and I said, I didn't, I didn't say anything about myself. I said, can I pray for you? Can I pray? He said, absolutely. And I'll tell you, it was, by the time I got done, I was so, had so much in my heart, and I just prayed for everything I could think of. Prayed for him, prayed for his, his two kids, prayed for, for just God to open his heart and whatever I could say. And I said, in Jesus' name, amen. I opened my eyes there were tears coming down his face. I said goodbye, got out of my car, and honestly, I don't know that I did very much good for him, but I will say this. I had so much joy in my heart. So much joy in my heart. More than I can think of in, in recent memory. Okay, The gospel is a message we share. It is a life we live, but the key to that life is are you listening to the Spirit of God in your life. He's going to push you, push us out. doesn't mean you have to get on an airplane, but it means pushing you out of where you're comfortable, right? To talk to people who are all around you and all around me. Some of them drive very nice cars. Some of them don't even have a place to sleep, but they don't know Jesus. Lastly, it's a source of great joy. Watch how this passage ends. The gospel is a source of great joy. Verse 36. As they traveled 
along the road and came to some water, the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? So obviously, we're not only getting not all of the quotation, we're not getting all the conversation. They had a conversation, right? It, says, it just says he told them the good news about Jesus. I'm sure he put a lot of pieces together. And, the, and, and, and even told him about baptism. And this guy is so moved, you, you, the implication is he's received Jesus Christ as his Savior. He's so moved, he stops the chair and he goes, why not us get baptized right now? Yeah, isn't that amazing? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Right? Important guy. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, if this story couldn't get any crazier, right? When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, whatever that means, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Isn't that amazing? The, the gospel is a source of great joy. But listen, not just for the Ethiopian eunuch. I promise you, Philip will be telling this story for all of eternity. I'm sure Philip would have said to himself, listen, if I die tomorrow, I, my life has had its purpose. But it, he had a lot more to go. It's a message we share. It's a life that we live it's a source of grace, joy. And don't miss this. There's, there's a whole other sermon here. I'm not going to give it. But it's interesting. This passage of Scripture, there's only two verses quoted, verses 32 and 33. It's from the most well-known of all Old Testament biblical prophecies on the crucifixion of Jesus. Many of you know it. It's called the Servant Song or one of them, Isaiah 52. In Isaiah 53, it's 15 verses, and it's the most comprehensive, well-known, you know, he, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. All these great phrases come out of this very famous biblical prophecy about the servant who becomes Jesus who dies for our sins. All like we have sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the passage. And I'm sure when, he t when, when, the, when, the, when, when the eunuch says, who is this guy talking about? And he says, well, he tells him about Jesus. He unpacks this whole passage and tells him, let me connect the dots for you. But what's so interesting about this is the, the, the passage that is highlighted here, the one that got the attention of the eunuch, was actually not about the vicarious suffering of Jesus, which is just a verse below or a verse behind, but it was on, look carefully, verse 33, his humiliation, Right? It was, it, was, it was humiliating. Remember, Jesus was hung on a cross without any clothes on. He didn't even do anything wrong, okay, in front of all his friends. I mean, this, to, to, care, to be crucified was humiliating, and Jesus was not guilty, and he was deprived of justice, okay? It was a kind of a kangaroo court, right? They, they knew the outcome before they even charged him. They wanted to kill him, and watch this. Who can speak of his descendants, because he was caught up. In other words, Jesus didn't have any kids. Either did the Ethiopian eunuch. If you don't know what a eunuch is, ask your mom and dad when you get home, okay? <laughs> and what this eunuch said is, in other words, Jesus was, did not only die for his sins, he identified with the shame in this man's life. 
And he says to Philip, who is this guy? Is, he, is it Isaiah? And he says, no, it's not Isaiah. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus not only identified with his humiliation, he died for his sin, and he gave him access to God in a way that nothing else could, even a thousand-mile journey. Think of how much this guy was interested. He had all the trappings of success, but he took a thousand-mile journey, which probably took a year, who knows, to go to the Jerusalem temple. But guess what? Many of you know this. When he gets to the Jerusalem temple, the best he can do is the outer court because he's a Gentile. He's a eunuch. He's, he's a foreigner. He, could, he went all that way to stand in the lobby Philip says, those days are over. I'm a, Jesus Christ died. He identified with the, your shame. He died for your sins. And now you can have access to God right here, right now. Let's get down in the water and be baptized. Okay? That's the gospel. It's a source. It's a message we share. Listen, are you sharing it? Am I sharing it? You say, well, I haven't done it in a while and I'm busy. Let me tell you something. It's because it's not just a message. It's a, li- it's a life that we live. What do I mean by that? It doesn't mean be a missionary, but what it means is, are you listening to the Spirit? Every single day is an opportunity for you and for me in very subtle and small ways. Go up here. Go to that chariot. Go to that person. Just go up. And you know what he said to Philip? Go up and stand near it. He didn't say, go there and beat the guy over the head. He said, Just listen. This was the easiest conversion story you'll ever find. He's reading Isaiah 53. What does this mean? Wow! That was a pretty easy one, okay? Because God's already working in advance, right? Amen? Amen. So I want you to think about this last as we close. Are you sharing the word with others in your life? Are you listening to the Spirit? Is there someone whose chariot he is encouraging you? Think about this as you head out here today. Encouraging you to stay here, even one person. Amen? All right, let me pray. God and Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the men and women in this room. Lord, we we come to you. We want to be the church in all the ways that you want us to be the church. Lord, we, we are works in progress. We're, you know, we're, we're, flying the, we're building the plane as we fly it. That is, we're, we're growing as disciples, right? As we talked earlier. We're, we're, we have to grow while we serve, while we give. We're, we're, we're all uh, have feet of clay, right? None of us are perfect. None of us... Uh, you know, know the Bible, but we know that we can point people to Jesus. We can say, um, he's changed my life, and we can do that. Help us, Lord, uh, all of us, students, young and old, in, in the lives that we live. Life is so short. Help us to use our time to be intentional, to want to live, to want to serve, to want to know the joy of the Lord. Uh, Lord, even this week, help us, God, to listen and to serve you and to uh, love others as you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, let me give me another minute. I saved one at 9.59.
um, to just say a few words about this. Many of you know we talked about this mini reach campaign, which we launched two weeks ago today, and it was really th- uh, three Sundays. Today is the third Sunday, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll refer you to this so I don't have to give you a lot of details. We're trying to, um, as the elders are talking about vision going forward into this year and even into next year, um, we wanted to reduce our debt, raise a million dollars in 100 days or 90 days, and, and we handed out this card you have in front of you and said, would you think about it, pray for us, but even if you, want, if you choose to want to give a, but beyond tithes and offerings to do that and to submit this card in one of our offering boxes on the 21st of January. At least that's the goal. The, the, the ultimate um, deadline is really February, April 7th or for this um, debt to be paid. So you know that, I think, and I want to say, I just want to give you a quick update. Um, we actually asked people to put the cards in these boxes, which you can do today. Some of you may want to do today on the 21st. But we've already gotten many of you. Some of you did it two weeks ago and last Sunday. And in, in the total, I don't know how many cards exactly. Some of you did it directly online. But we have over $500,000 already given, which is, I should be clapping for you. That's unbelievable. I can tell you that if the thing was over right now, I, I'd, I'd, I'm having one of these moments of joy, not because it's about money, but because I'm so humbled by what this church has done. Okay, so I want you to know that. So um, this is my card. I will be putting it in the box on my way out of here today. You can do that if you want to. And of course, if you didn't do it today, we can take it past today. But that I, we will update you as we go. But let me say one last thing before I send you out. Like the REACH initiative, which, this was, which is a part of, we decided we would spend 10% of this on mission. Uh, we we, we want to be giving out, not just taking in. And we did that in 2016, 17, 18, 19, when we did the REACH initiative, and we gave over, well over half a million dollars away. This will be closer to 100000 because it's 10% of a million dollars. But if you got Jason's letter last week, you know we already, are already committed to one of these partnerships talk more about it in the days to come. The, the, the Wolof has a Bible project. It's, it's an existing partnership. But the goal of this going forward is our vision is to create new partnerships, new and existing partnerships. They won't be just about money and ministry. We'll be about mobilization. So I want you to know that more to come. One of those, maybe, maybe, we're considering it, uh, the, the country of Kosovo, where you, some of you know I have been before. We talked about it in Labor Day weekend, and we had a pastor here in October. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow with Kelly Fasolt and Nate Yoder, both from our church, and we're going there to d- investigate this a little bit more. Okay, so I just want you to know that. Please pray for me, pray for us, and pray for our church as we consider how God wants to move us forward in the days to come. Amen? Amen. I'll say it one more time. Okay, have a great Sunday.